0: There's nothing greater in this world than the fact that God brought death to death and offers you and I life and love because of it. It's great news. He loves you. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Matthew 21, starting in verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it. A den of robbers. Please pray with me. Father, you are good. We thank you for your word. We know that um, in the midst of it, you show yourself to us. And so I pray as we discover it this morning um, that you would meet us where we are. We love you. Thank you for all you do. And in your name we pray. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. Uh, I do feel a little bit of pressure to come up here and say welcome and good morning so that you all feel at home. But alas, I am American, um, unlike our wonderful senior pastor. So, uh, my name is Sean Guida. I'm the senior high minister here at First Presbyterian Church. Um, I've been here for going on five years now, and I, I want to say it has been such a blessing to be here. Uh, we have an outstanding group of students, and we have been able to do so much because of your willingness to give. And I can't thank you enough for that. From the bottom of my heart, um, your prayers, uh, the the finances you give to allow students to go on these trips and to have a room that is um, worth showing off to their friends who uh, come and hear the gospel is uh, so incredible. So thank you for that. Um, You just will never fully understand unless you're there every Wednesday, how, how great of a place it is because of your willingness to love and to serve and to believe in this generation. So thank you so much. Um, but uh, I, like I said, I've been the senior high minister here for five years. Um, and I also, in my time of, of work, had the incredible opportunity to uh, work at Bilo for three incredible weeks uh, before I got married. It was the three best weeks of my life outside of uh, marrying my wife and my two children so um, that was a joke it's okay to laugh we're in church um, yeah but uh, I learned something there that we talk about in the senior high room a lot and it's called building the house and what they teach you and I know this will probably go against everything you've ever thought because when you go to Uh, the grocery store and you find the one guy who hates his job who throws your eggs with your milk and everything so you come back and you have some some conglomeration of dairy products and uh what they actually teach you is to do something called building the house they tell you you take the bag take products that will actually kind of make a structure you know, your hard boxes, cereals, and you actually can protect the other items in the middle by building a proper structure around. It's called building the house. And so we talk about that in our student ministry, um, about building the house and what that means to provide the context of the Word of God so that when we teach and read and pray and that we would understand it well. Um, the verses this morning that you've heard and that we're going to talk about when Jesus cleanses his temple are some that a lot of people like to use out of that context. And they say, well, Jesus came in and he saw the church become a business, and so he got rid of that. So why does the church operate like a business? Why do you need money? Why do you care? Why, why does that matter? Because I just want to worship God. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that's not actually what's happening here this morning. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, as we dive in. But I'm going to actually move over into Mark 11. So I know we're Presbyterian so it's hard to you know make surprises but here we go. Surprise. So, 11 to 15 it's the same story so don't get too upset. On reaching Jerusalem <clears throat> Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, It is not written, my house will be called a house. Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all people? But you have made it into a den of robbers. <clears throat> now, that seems pretty straightforward, but I want to build the house, if you will, and provide some context of what's happening. So, this is just as Jesus is walking in from the triumphal entry, he's just come into Jerusalem. There are tons of people there celebrating the Passover. And as Jesus walks into the temple gates, he walks into something called the court of the Gentiles, where Gentiles, non-Jews, would come, and that was the closest they could get to the inner, inner uh, area of the temple. And so the Gentiles would come, and they would pray, and they would, they would offer themselves there. They would seek the Lord in that court. And so when Jesus walks in to the court of the Gentiles, he sees people selling doves. He sees people changing money, taking the Roman coin and moving into a temple tax, or a temple coin, excuse me, and and paying what's called a temple tax and actually using that opportunity to exhort money out of people. He sees businessmen cutting through this Room, this house of prayer to get to their tables quicker so that they can make more money and do it quicker and more efficiently and jesus gets upset now here's why that matters because god is a god of details all the presbyterians if we had freedom would say amen really loud but um there you go some of you are alive this morning that's great God is a God of details. We see that when he talks about building the temple for David to give his son Solomon. We see that when Noah builds the ark that God has specific details. And in the temple, God has purposed this area, as I said, as the court of Gentiles, a place of prayer. It was people who were not in God's chosen Israel, who were not Jewish, to come and meet the Lord. The closest they could get. Now, imagine if you came on Sunday, and as you were walking in, someone stopped you right at the nursery and said, Hey, I'm sorry, this is as close as you get to the Lord today. That's what's happening here. And so, as Jesus is walking through here, instead of being a place of prayer for people to approach the throne of God, it is a place of business, it is a place of merchants, it is a place where people are just trying to make a quick buck. And here's what effectively actually gets Jesus upset. It's not that there's business being done in the temple courts. It's that the business that was done removed the ability for both Jews and Gentiles to worship effectively. It removed their opportunity to approach the throne of God. Temple worship as most of us know if if we've read a lot of the Old Testament, calls for a sacrifice of a family animal. The best that you had to offer. And so as many pilgrims would travel from these long distances to come worship at Passover, it became much easier for people just to make a, a business of bringing doves and animals for sacrifice and just selling them for a quick buck in the temple courts. This is kind of akin to every one of you guys who have been to the circus or medieval times. And you would have brought your magic light up sword from home, but you forgot it. So you have to buy one for $420 from the vendors there. What had happened is that people would come from long distances and rather than offer a true sacrifice of something that they held dear, they would just come into The court of the Gentiles, which is where the others would go, and they'd pay huge margins for a dove or an animal for sacrifice and then go into their court and do that very thing. It removed sacrifice from worship. So people made a business out of it. They would raise their doves or pigeons or animals. They would bring them. They'd sell them to the merchants. The merchants would sell them for twice as much. And these people who had traveled, who once a year made a pilgrimage to go to the temple to worship, would be swindled. When all they were doing was just trying to worship as God had told them to. Now, we talked about the Dominican, and I hope this doesn't, um, this doesn't end up hurting what we're trying to do. But uh, I kind of understand, I think, how these people feel. When you go into the Dominican Republic, as some of you have, you walk in and you have one $10 bill, right, students? Who's been there remembers that? Joyce Sturgis is smiling and laughing. You have a ten dollar bill, you walk in, you hand that to a nice young man or woman behind glass looking official. They take your ten dollars, they give you a piece of paper, and you're like, all right, I did something. And then you walk six more feet and you hand that piece of paper to someone else and they go, Welcome. And you go, What did I just pay ten dollars for? Nothing. You pay ten dollars because they can make you pay ten dollars. Because you're not getting back on a plane and flying if, you know, you get upset about that. You have no other option. And so when you walk in, you're kind of like, okay, well, they just made $2,000 off of us for no real reason. That's what's happening here. Except this is in the sanctuary. This is in the temple courts. Merchants are just making free money off of people. there to meet with the Lord. But here's, I think, one of the other big issues. I kind of alluded to it already. But in this business, it took away the means for people to truly sacrifice and worship. It made worship easy. It, it formalized it. There was no real sacrifice It was totally impersonal. And so the pilgrimage was made to be nothing more than a standardized worship. A formality. And guys, when worship becomes a formality, when it becomes impersonal, it lacks the ability to be worship. When it's easy for you, it's not worship. And that's exactly what had happened here. The merchants came and they made worship accessible and easy and a formality, and it made it empty. But God has no need for false, empty, formal worship. And that's that's just the, the Jewish folks out of here. Let's talk about the Gentiles, which Spoiler alert, most of us are Gentiles if you're not of Jewish heritage. A few of you who are, awesome. Congratulations. You don't have to listen to me for about two minutes, but let's talk about what that did to the Gentiles. The merchants, the money changers, the pilgrims, they had taken this one area <clears throat> that the Gentiles were allowed to be in. The one place that they were actually had freedom to come into the temple and worship God and pray, had been abused and destroyed by the hustle and bustle of business, of people taking shortcuts, of animals being sold. Now imagine this. We're five more minutes into our, to the uh, worship today. And imagine 400 people come walking through the sanctuary. They come down wave, acknowledge, walk out that door. And the last guy stops and he goes, hey, sorry to interrupt, we're just trying to get to that end of downtown a little quicker. Right? What would happen here? It would be, it would be everyone would go, well, that's, that's ridiculous. That's amazing that they had the gall to walk through the middle of a worship service. Guys, that is what's happening here. Jesus isn't upset because business is being done in the church, because there's money in the temple. Jesus is upset because that's what's happening to the Gentiles in the one place that they can come and worship. Their worship opportunity is being removed for the sake of ease. Jesus is incensed because in addition to cheapening the worship, they are blocking the Gentiles' ability to worship altogether. So as we see in verse 17, he says, As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of robbers. So Jesus actually forces them to take the next step here, which is to remove the distraction, to remove the formality, to remove the non-sacrificial Worship that these people are bringing, he removes that opportunity. And he allows people to reassess the purpose for their time within the temple walls. Jesus isn't mad because people are selling things in the church, Jesus is mad because it blocks people's opportunity to meet with God. He brings the temple back to the original purpose. The original purpose that was set out by the Father, that all nations would have the opportunity to truly, sacrificially worship. Guys, that is our purpose here. Our purpose is to come here and not to check something off the list, not to say, I live in the South, so I went to church on Sunday and I wore something that looked nice and I shook hands and said, Hey, good to see you. You can do that at the Commerce Club. Our purpose here is to have a meeting with the one true creator God of the universe. What an opportunity that is. So what is our question? What does that actually mean for us? So listen, this is where I get in trouble, okay? I'm going to bring a little bit of levity here. I get in trouble for going a little too hard sometimes, so stay with me. Hear my heart. Our church, this church, the Big C Church, must be a place for all people to have a chance to worship. And for those who are in the church, it must be a place where we offer true and sacrificial worship. If your worship isn't costing you something, it's not worship. I know that hurts, I know that stings but if you came here just hoping to feel real good when you walked out, I apologize. We are called to be sacrificial in our worship. And I'm not, this isn't a call for money to pay for people to go to the Dominican. I'm talking about about heart. Guys, we should never fail to be blown away by John 3, 16. That verse should never be dull. That God so loved the world, loved you, that he gave his only son? That whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That should blow our minds every time we read it. You are loved by a personal God. Therefore, our worship must be personal. So you may be asking in your mind, or maybe... Maybe out loud, maybe you're frustrated, or maybe not. What are we supposed to do? Here's what I would tell you to do: Consider the cross of Jesus Christ. Consider the cross. Consider the fact that God humbled himself and came down as man. That God lived a perfect life, that God was beaten and whipped, that God had 351 times pieces of metal and shard and glass into his flesh and rip out and then was hung on a piece of wood where he suffocated and died, that God did that. And then at three days later, God rose, that God turned what seemed like a bad Friday into a good Friday and made it a great Sunday and that he did that because he loves you and me man consider the cross when we consider the cross how can we not come in and hear songs like majesty and be blown away he made a good Friday a great Sunday So what do we do? We have to take our religious we shoulds and we hold them up into the shadow of the cross. And we allow the reality that a creator God who overcame the world, who brought death to death, who pays for everything that you've already done and will do, who gives hope to the hopeless, who gives eternity to a man hanging next to him on a cross We have to hold those things up in the shadow of the cross and allow our we shoulds to be turned to how could I not. We should attend church every Sunday. We should tithe. We should forgive. We should serve. We should take that first step in reconciliation. We should reach out to the hurting and hopeless. We should spend time in the word. We should lead our families. We should repent all of those things, when viewed in the light of the cross, turn into how could I not? How could I not go meet with the, with the Lord on Sunday? How could I not tithe? How could I not forgive? How could I not serve? How could I not reconcile? How could I not pray? How could I not lead my family? How could I not repent? When I consider the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, my wife is in like the eighth row. You can talk to her after service. She will tell you I do not do that often. But how much our perspective changes when we hold ourselves in the shadow of the cross of Jesus. Jesus forces the people in the temple courts to reacquaint themselves with the true focus of the temple, which is worshiping God and allowing those seemingly far away to have a seat at the table. Here's the other thing we have to get, guys. There is a seat at the table for the Jew and the Gentile. There is a seat at the table for the one who is raised in church and loves him from a young age, as well as a thief who hangs on the cross next to Jesus. There is a seat at the table At the table but we must take the focus off of our own selves in order to offer the seat of the table to those who are wandering into the temple gates we have to take the focus off of ourselves of our desires our comforts our preferences We have to move them, all of those things, into doing everything we can to worship God fully. And here's the big word again, sacrificially. And in doing so, we can offer a seat at the table to that one person who maybe is here because it's a week after Easter and they're giving God one more chance. We have to let our own preferences and desires die for the sake of those who don't know him who might know him. We have to sacrifice ourselves and what we want for the sake of those who might meet Jesus. And that's not easy. I don't even like to not have my pillow when I go to bed at night. I'm with you. But guys, what do we read in Scripture? What does Paul say? Offer yourselves as a what? Living sacrifice. What does Jesus say? You must die to yourself every day and pick up your cross. We are caught and called to live in sacrifice every day and if we're not doing that in the very temple courts that we have called a sanctuary here then we are missing the point that Jesus is making here not that business doesn't happen here but that this is a place where we sacrificially must worship God and not because we should but because how can we not the Lord may be calling you From all kinds of different hurts and skepticism and angers, et cetera. But when he calls you from something, he also calls you to something, and that is himself. And so, this is what I would ask for you clear out your distractions, come to the sanctuary expecting that God will meet you where you are, expecting that worship will cost you something. And be willing to do that. Experience the freedom in Christ that you've been so longing for. In your unsettled state, with the hustle and bustle of life, with everything that gets in the way, come expecting to worship sacrificially. Because he is trustworthy. He is steadfast. He is forgiving. He is alive. And the best news is that he made a good Friday a great Sunday. And that there's nothing else anyone could ever offer you better than that. Because of that, he is worthy of our sacrificial worship and praise. There's nothing greater in this world than the fact that God brought death to death and offers you and I life and love because of it. Is great news. He loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that your loving kindness is something we could never replicate, but that it calls us to worship. And Lord, I just I pray that this would never be a formality for us that because we live in the South and because that's what people do here, that church would never be something on a checklist, but it would instead be an opportunity to commune and meet with the one true God who defeated death for our sake. We love you. Help us to be drawn more in that love, to worship you fully, that we won't be afraid to give more of ourselves for your sake. Father, I pray that you would honor that as you always do. That you would meet us where our hearts lie. That you would fill us. And that we would continue to make this a place where we recognize not only that everyone has a seat at the table, but this is a place where we meet with you. We love you. Thank you for all you do. And the things that you don't that we think you should. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. Sign up now for summer camps at First Presbyterian Church. Summer at First is a place where campers have fun as they make friends and learn about God. Camp counselors help build strong character in the lives of young people through daily Bible stories, music, games, crafts, and prayer. Our ministry is available for ages three months through rising sixth grade. More information at firstpresgreenville.org.